0: I took my idea to the board and one board member threw his pen down on the table and said, well, this isn't going to work, is it? You know, women aren't even interested in sex.
1: It's from my own experience, women are better in business. They're, in most cases, calmer, more organised, more structured, can stick to process and, and actually less emotional about decisions when they're in positions of responsibility.
0: I would love to see more women... That are successful raise their head above the parapet. You know we tend to 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 hold things back, but it's so important to do that if we want to inspire the next generation. Hi
1: everyone, and welcome to the Spencer Lodge Podcast in partnership with Smartcast and Najahi Events. Today's episode is with an incredibly successful businesswoman from the UK. She really has gone on to do incredible things on the back of a very very difficult. Upbringing. Jacqueline Gold is one of the UK's most successful businesswomen. She's also one of the wealthiest in the country and she made her money selling sex toys to women. As the CEO of Ann Summers for more than three decades, she took over a company run by men and totally transformed it. Taking inspiration from Tupperware parties and empowering women across the country to host their own Ann Summers parties, she made sex toys accessible and broke down barriers across the country. But her journey to success hasn't been easy. She was sexually abused by her stepfather when she was a child. She was poisoned by her nanny, threatened with bullets through the post. She's also a breast cancer survivor. I've got so many questions for her, but for now, let's cue the music and get straight into it. Smartcasts, they're one of the sponsors of the show. Why do I want them to sponsor the show? Because they are solving food security problems for the world. I'm really keen that we understand the problem that exists by 2050 when there's too many people on the planet to feed. We need to find alternative solutions and smart cars are at the forefront of those solutions, bringing in different forms of agri-tech and technology-focused robotic farming techniques that are going to help make sure we can keep the population fed no matter how much the climate changes. Go check them out at Tech on Instagram, S M A R T K A S t-e-c-h okay go check them out there on instagram i promise you what they're doing is really empowering really valuable and you will get something from following them najahi events have been our sponsor since the beginning i've got nothing but admiration for alpha mustafa and her team they've been so good at bringing motivational speakers and inspirational leaders here into the region i can't thank them enough for all of the work they've done to support us over the course of the last three years go check out najahi n-a-j-a-h-i Najahi Events, E-V-E-N-T-S, on Instagram. Give them a follow. See who they've got coming into the region. If you're here in the UAE, you'll benefit from these people. And you know what? You might learn something. So go check them out. But well, Jacqueline, thank you so, so much for coming to join us on the show today. I so would rather this be sat in person. But as we're 3,500 miles away, this will have to do for now thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You, I'm so excited. I've got like a million questions for you. I I was thinking earlier, but where I start and what I do and how I do it. And I'm like, this lady is so authentic that I'm just going to go for it and be completely ad hoc. So for all of you guys that are listening and watching to the show right now, this isn't my typical format. I'm just going to go for it. I hope you enjoy it. Jacqueline, thanks for coming to join us. Thank
0: you so much for having me. I really look forward to this.
1: Oh, good, good stuff. Okay, that, it's very hard to know where to start because I'm fascinated about your business journey. Um, the, Tony Robbins once said, the greatest, uh, the greatest revenge is massive success. And that, for me, plays a role in my life as well. And, and, and for me, it was, it was actually bullies at school. The, the bullies, until the age of about 45, the bullies were such a massive motivation for me and they kept me going and thriving and pushing until I kind of made peace with them. It took me an awful long time. But I'd like to come on to that in a little while. But maybe let, let's start with your childhood because it was a bit of a tough one. Just Just take me back to when you were a kid and tell me what life was like.
0: Yeah, I did have a very, a very challenging childhood. I was an only child until I was seven years old when my, my sister came along and up until then, my mother was very protective. If I was sitting on the beach, she'd draw a, a circle in the sand and put me in the middle, and I wasn't allowed outside of that circle. Um, so in some ways, it was a very lonely childhood. And then my parents split up at the age when I was 12, when I was 12 years old, um, and my mum met somebody else. And it was, it was him that um, sexually abused me between the age of 12 and 15. And I was a particularly young 15-year-old, 15, 15 but bizarrely, you know, my mo- mother's instincts to be overprotective during the early years, um, you know, she was completely taken by this uh, new new man in her life. And I think potentially, you know, didn't see what was going on or did see, but you know, did, didn't sort of protect us in the way that we, we would have wanted her to.
1: T- tell me about that relationship with your stepfather, because you know, I have a stepfather and a stepmother too. My parents got divorced when I was about seven. But I look back with incredibly fond memories of incredible people and consider myself to have two mums and two dads. And so I'm very lucky. In the first instance of getting to know him, was, was he, were you wary of him from the beginning?
0: He, he was a friend of my parents, him and his wife and the the when i look back the abuse actually started before my my father left home but you know as a very naive 12 year old i didn't actually really know you know when i look back i don't think i really knew what was going on it, these things often are very subtle at the beginning you know i did i don't remember really interacting with him other than these sort of strange episodes uh, other than outside of that, I don't remember interacting with him and it wasn't really until my father left home and he moved in that at first I thought he was a very uh, gregarious, outgoing, popular, um, a popular man, uh, had lots of friends, seemed to me to be what I would describe now as a, a man's man, uh, as in, you know, sort of an alpha male. My mother slowly changed over time and became quite timid. Um, as and as far as saying, you know, she she became quite. I think he was quite controlling, and it, it got to a point where my sister and I could tell what mood he was in when he came home from work by the way he threw his keys on the on the table as he came through the front door. So, over a period of time, you know, it you know, we, what we saw was one person and what others saw was a very sociable, uh, unless, it, of course, it was my mother's friends who slowly, he stopped her from seeing. Unless they were friends of his, she she wasn't able to see them. And the same with family. We would sort of distance from the family.
1: So did you feel as that relationship grew and, and your mother became submissive essentially to your stepfather did you did you become more distant from your mum as well
0: so there was one day I actually told a cousin of mine and and to use these very childish terminology I said oh John gets fresh with me was the words I remember very clearly using and uh, she overheard me and um you know, I was immediately told off for telling lies. But directly in answer to your question, yes, I think we we definitely drifted apart. And even, you know, as she... she was She was nine years older than him, and he was 14 years older than me. So, yes, I drifted apart from her, and she found it difficult to show love. You know, even as she got older, when I used to hug her she didn't really know how to respond
1: that's uh that's really sad because at, at any stage in our life you know one of the the nicest things you can ever experience is your mum or your dad putting their arms around you and giving mm-hmm. you a, you know a hearty deep sincere love and makes you feel safe again doesn't it so I
0: know, yeah I know and I you know the, Vanessa and I have my sister we've had conversations about this a number of times and it it is sad. You know, I don't know whether that was to do with her upbringing. I, I, I mean, I remember my grandmother being a very warm lady, but obviously things were different, you know, things were different then. I mean, I, I can't show my daughter enough love. I mean, it's crazy. You know, we, we bring our do- our children, you know, our sons and daughters up so differently now.
1: T- tell me how often you were seeing your real dad at the time. Was it like an every other weekend type of thing? Did you see him frequently?
0: yeah actually, my dad used to come over and see us every Thursday night without fail. He would sit in a very hostile environment because he'd sit in the in the lounge and we'd sit there and uh, mum would come in occasionally. John was a musician and he would hide himself upstairs. so there was an atmosphere definitely, but we didn't we didn't go and stay with him, which you know is is much more sort of common today yeah I I, it wasn't until really I left home that I really got to know my dad well it's
1: one of those things that you think if you think very kind of like practically and unemotionally the the first thing would be well why didn't you tell your dad and I because mum wouldn't understand but dad would and I know many years later when you told your dad and he found out you know you wanted him to know and the first thing he wanted to do was to go you know smash his face in type of thing Mm. and there must have been a reason why you didn't tell your dad or didn't want to tell your dad do you know what that might have been
0: there were a couple of people that I that knew what was going on and I I didn't realize that at the time as you know some relations saw something and told my my mum about it and she dismissed it as you know you've you're mistaken, you know, that wasn't what happened, etc. Later in later in life, I, I, I internalised it, really. I found it very difficult to tell anybody. And, you know, it was easier to put it in a box in the back of my mind. But equally, visiting my mum, I had to do one, you know, certain times of the year. And that was extremely difficult. You know, very painful. I sort of had panic attacks. My sister who I hadn't uh, confided in at that point, couldn't understand why I was acting so strangely. But when I did eventually tell my dad, it was the hardest thing, you know, to tell somebody that really cares about you and loves you what has happened. Well, it was just, I, I can't even explain why it was so difficult. It was difficult because I, I guess I was worried about his reaction, but it was painful for me to relive those memories
1: you say you put it into a box did you remove it from your memory for a long period of time so that you could cope because i know some people do that inadvertently just like it's boxed off and put in a way that is buried so deep that it's kept out of your mind so that you can you can get on with life
0: so i did uh i did do that for um quite a long period of time and then um my mother was ill and uh, she, she was uh, diagnosed with cancer. She also had early dementia. So I think she was only about um, 63 at the time. She needed uh, full-time care. And, and we weren't aware that you could... I, I mean, Maybe they didn't do it then, because it, it, it was sort of about 18 years ago. But she didn't have any home visits from uh, carers, Macmillan, like you do today. So uh, we had an arrangement with John. My sister set up the arrangement where he would go to golf every day and my sister would take it in turns to um, go and look after her in the family home. And we would arrive after he left. We would leave before he returned and uh, we were able to to look after him. We did that for three months, which was very, very difficult My sister hasn't talked about her experience, but I know it was difficult for me because obviously I'm then spending every other day in in the home where I was abused in. And, you know, there was, it was just, it was scary. It was uh, frightening because I always knew at some point he was going to come home and it was about getting out before he could, you know, before he returned. Um, So that was a very difficult time and... I began to have symptoms of anxiety. I didn't know what anxiety was. Um, I went to my doctor and then I, from there, had counselling. Actually, I was having IVF at the same time as this was going on, which anybody that's been through knows that is also very traumatic. And then my mother died and then it was having to come face-to-face with my childhood abuser at her funeral. So it was a really, really tough time.
1: Did you ever forgive him?
0: Gosh, this is hard. So I worked out myself that harbouring anger was not good for my health. And I've, I've realised, you know, that over time, and I, I'm not an angry person, but I am somebody that holds, holds things inside. And I think that I, for quite a long period of time, I was quite numb and almost detached myself from him so that I didn't have to feel any emotion I do invest a lot of time now in my well-being. Obviously, I've been diagnosed with breast cancer. I've been through a lot of um, trauma in my life. And, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time investing in meditating, in uh, learning to, trying to learn to let go, you know, positive thinking, all of these different things that, that I try and do for myself. You know, I went to a, a, a retreat in India A very grounded retreat. So when I went to India, Dr. Mattai, it was a place called Salkia and he actually said to me, you need to forgive. And I was very honest with him. I said, "I, I just can't do that. How can I, how can I do that? I just can't do it. And I, I came away from that three week experience being very aware. It kept playing on my mind. How do I forgive? I knew in my heart that I I needed you know maybe there was some he- you know really health benefit in in forgiving um, and I still haven't been able to forgive but I I do try and explore ways of letting go and you know authentically letting go so it's it is still something I I battle with and and and, and you know part of me knows that it probably would be helpful but it's doing it in a way that I I feel comfortable with and doesn't compromise my, you know, uh, my values, I guess.
1: And I know we're talking about it right now. And and recently it's been brought up in in, in other podcasts. But outside of that, how often typically would this come into your brain and you think about it during the course of a day, a week or whatever?
0: Um, When I was younger, it would come into my mind every day. You know, this is, you know, for anybody that was doubtful about the was originally doubtful about the Jimmy Savile victims for example why didn't they come forward sooner I, I think unless you've been in this situation it's very hard to fully appreciate the torment that you have day after day after day very least I now have reached a point where you know I feel that that experience of my life I'm at peace with Uh, you know, and I feel good about that. I feel that I, I have moved on enough that I am at peace with what happened.
1: Can you remember what a difference it made to your life when you started to go to work and earn money? Did, how, how did it feel? Was it a great sense of, you know, in the early stages, I know you weren't super successful at the beginning, you started at the bottom, but did it feel good to be earning your own money and being able to be taking back some control of your destiny somewhat at the beginning?
0: I, um, certainly when I started doing Saturday work, and in those days you could you could do that at 15. So, I um, mean, I did everything from waitressing to washing hair, uh, working at Big um, Biggin Hill Flying Club in a bar. Um, you know, that was very empowering after everything I'd been through. And it was my, it was a real, Escape for me, Um, and whilst my, you know, bizarrely, my mum would never let me catch the bus and go shopping in Bromley, or, or, she would let me go up, and she would let me go to work. I think, you know, maybe that was that was okay, so I could do that, but it it was very empowering for me.
1: I remember it myself when I was young, and I used to, what was I, fifteen or sixteen? I used to collect glasses in a bar on a Friday and a Saturday night. I used to work on a market stall on a Saturday morning, selling greetings cards. I used to cut grass and mo- uh, and wash cars on a Sunday, knocking on the neighbor's doors. And then I used to do a paper round, I think, in the morning. Oh, also the the yellow advertiser or the evening echo or something like that uh, one evening a week. And that all of those little things that I did gave, gave me a, you know, a great sense of independence, a great sense of, uh, of being and, and I think it helped my self esteem because of the bullying and whatnot that I'd been through, Um and it gave me this ability to feel a little bit stronger and independent.
0: I I, t- I totally relate to that. I can. I mean, I was, I was painfully shy as a teenager and in my early twenties, and obviously, when you go through it, bad experiences, you know, as maybe you did, you you feel. There's part of you that thinks you're not worthy or, you're, you know, you're not good enough to be somebody's friend or, or, you know, this is why you're being treated in the way you are. And I think that, you know, I said, you know, financial independence definitely gave me a feeling of being empowered. But like you, it is the very start of that journey of confidence building and self-esteem and, and just feeling like actually, you know, I'm adding value here, I'm contributing. Mm-hmm. I'm, am you know,
1: somebody values what I'm doing. Yeah, it's you know, it's lessons that we learned from those areas that are those times that many people should remember when they employ people themselves. It's the, the you know, the high five or the well done, you did a good job today. Mm. You know, you know that that small so stuff. True. You know, the small stuff just meant everything. I, I had a boss one day that said to me. You did an excellent job this week. I'm really pleased with your effort. Oh man, that lasted a month. I was really? buzzing for it. I was buzzing for a month just because of those words. As he was leaving the office, with you know, getting into his car, just the moment that he took that moment, I'll never forget it. I know exactly. The, I know exactly where I was standing in South East London at the time. Exactly where I was standing. And so, yeah, those types of things I mean, are important. We
0: underestimate, don't we, how compliments and appreciation and gratitude can be such a gift to somebody it doesn't you know that small just that one comment has completely made their day
1: yeah you don't know you don't know what their their mood might have been before before you see them you know you don't know if you see you know the, we were doing some filming this morning and some of the team turned up and they're just just arrived from another country and off a of flight and whatnot and I, I said to the two of the girls I'm like you look awesome today I really love your outfits and they just went Oh, thanks, Ben. And it just in that moment, it just lifted the whole, you could feel yeah. the whole room just feel lifted in that second. And, and it's uh, a
0: joy for you as well, isn't it? To oh, see the, the reaction. Yeah.
1: yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's um, let's move on and start talking about Jacqueline, the business lady, because you have had an incredible journey and been incredibly successful. One of the most successful business ladies in Britain, on a subject matter that even to this very day in Dubai is incredibly taboo. If you come to Dubai and you have a sex toy in your suitcase and they scan your suitcase, they confiscate it from you. Mm. And so often you hear people saying, how do I get my sex toy to Dubai (laughs) on various forums and chats? And you see the responses, take the batteries out first and maybe they'll come through that way." but i've lived in this country for the last 17 years and it's it's still very taboo now lingerie is accepted but anything else over and above that isn't when did it stop being scary intimidating or taboo if you can remember um over the course of the years for you because i'm sure at the beginning there must have been an element of that
0: well first of all i must just say to your i think this will surprise you but I did actually have two stores in Dubai and actually two franchise, well, they were franchise stores. And I also had two stores in Kuwait, believe it or not. And bizarrely, I couldn't even go to the opening because I wasn't married at the time. And you, you had to take your husband or father with you. So <laughs> um, they didn't stock toys. But uh, I'm i am told that, um, you know, the, the, the Middle Eastern women wear beautiful lingerie underneath their uh, they yashmak, so I, I um, would I
1: wouldn't be able to comment on that.
0: No, absolutely. <laughs> but um, yeah, this is a this is an interesting an interesting question because there were so many challenges at the beginning. You know, I had challenges from landlords. Um, you know, made me smile actually recently that the glades in Bromley okay uh, wouldn't let me open a store there, uh, so we had to go onto the high street. But you know, twenty years later, we've now moved into the shopping centre. Uh, there's been other landlords where they've had a fighting fund in, in case we took them on for not letting us open in their in their centre. Um, I've uh, taken the job center to court. I've had a bullet through the post from trying to open a store in, in Dublin. So there's been a lot of these, um, these challenges along the way. I mean it's it's sort of petered out, I suppose, over a period of time because it's it's a, a generational thing, isn't it? You know attitudes change. Uh, Women become more empowered. Um, You know, Anne Summers goes from um, raincoat raincoat brigade to a female institution over, you know, a a 30, 40-year period. Slowly, you know, attitudes change and, uh, you know, those against it become more and more in the minority. Um, But there's certainly been a lot of milestones along the way. I mean, I remember in uh, 2004, being invited to Buckingham Palace to meet the female members of the Royal Family, along with 200 women that had made a, a, a great contribution to business. You know, those, those little milestones over, you know, on the back of what I'd been, the journey I'd been on were, you know, really important to me because, you know, they were sending out, you know, really big messages. And, you know, some of the different awards that I've been very fortunate to, to receive. Along with the work I've done, I think have helped change perception.
1: Okay, let's 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 separate this for a second because we've got business number one, and then we've got business in um, what was many years ago a controversial area. So let's let's remove that and just talk about business for a second. What are the ingredients that you think that you had? To help you become a really successful business person, what what were those what were the was it you know because people were lean into the fact that you know your dad was in the industry beforehand and that kind of stuff, but what were the ingredients that you think that you had that made you successful?
0: I think the first thing was that I didn't have any business experience, so I was forced to rely on feedback from my customers. I made the choice that it was going to be for women only, which I think was a really smart move when I look back and you know that that relying on my customers piece is something I still do today and um, so I I think that was very important you'll hear a lot of people talk today I mean the the, you know Simon Sinek for example is a, a big advocate of your purpose and I you know I had a purpose right from the beginning which was you know I wanted to empower women in the bedroom so and that's Still, our our purpose. We, we, you know, we want to give women sexual, imp- all women sexual empowerment, and that's the only thing that's really evolved is is empowerment in the boardroom. Um, so that's something that we were doing very very early on. Um, and I think you know, and also the only other person I can think of doing something similar was Anita Roddick. Mm-hmm. You know, she had that, she had that purpose. So you know, and and we had this amazing USP. And this was something we were it was a business run by women for women um, and I think all of those things and I you know I can go on and on here I mean I was extremely passionate about the idea
1: now you've got your mission you know exactly what your your purpose is your why. Were you obsessive? Were you working 18-hour days back then to build the business? Were you did – you, did you find women that you could align yourself with or you could align with you very easily so that you could go out there and really push and build the business? Because it starts from humble beginnings. I mean, Tupperware parties, I remember those. When I was a kid, my mum used to have them. They used to come to the house and there was the – that are they better wear whatever it was people that would come. So yes, I, I remember that my mum would have girls round and it's like, go on bedroom sod off the living rooms off, uh-huh. off limits for the evening. And the girls would all have, you know, bottles of wine and a good chat and a chin wag and whatnot. And they'd be doing this Tupperware stuff. So, and that, that is kind of like as basic in the world of sales as you can get. I mean, alternatively it's door knocking and cold calling, isn't it really? If you go back to, back to those days. So How did you get that off the ground? How did you, you know, get people around you? Because the subject matter was challenging, wasn't it?
0: I took my idea to the board and and, uh, that was a challenge in itself because (laughs) one board member threw his pen down on the table and said, well, this isn't going to work, is it? You know, women aren't even interested in sex, Uh, which obviously said a lot more about his sex life than it did about my idea. But, you know, I, I needed that initial investment so I, the money I had, which was £40,000, so I started by um, advertising in the London Evening Standard. I'd drive up to the Strand Palace Hotel in my mustard-coloured mini. I would talk about my idea to the people that would attend, mostly women, but there were, there were men there, uh, so I'd obviously have to ask them to leave. And women were really excited about the idea. You know, and I was recruiting women from all sorts of life. I remember two women that lived in Chelsea, they were bored and they wanted to do something different. And then there were other women, women that I recruited at my first party in Thamesmead that, you know, were bored with doing the Tupperware and the Pippity. And they wanted, you know, to have fun while they earned money. And it and it was self-propagating. I mean, we grew to 500 uh, sales ambassadors within a year. I actually had to stop advertising because there were so many so many teething problems, but we were, you know, you mentioned my father being in the same business, you know, he was in the publishing business and um, you know, that was everything he did was for men. And this was, this was groundbreaking because it was, it was revolutionary. It was culture changing because it was completely uh, for women. And it was probably the best decision I ever made actually.
1: What was, where, where was your first store?
0: So, our first store was in Marble Arch, so actually when I joined when I started the party plan, which is really like our heritage business now, I closed a lot of the stores down oh. um, because it just didn't fit with our new ethos and then, as time went on and the parties and uh, you know were established the direct selling was established, I started to open new stores they were like an induction into the brand when we were chatting earlier it made me sort of chuckled to myself when you said as a 15 year old you'd walk past and you know all all sort of intimidated and and there were people that would come into the store and trip over the step you know just to help uh, you know being flustered or or whatever but yeah that was (laughs) you
1: I'll tell you I'll tell you where I was when I bought my first packet of condoms I was (laughs) I I was on them. and the old A13 into London, not far from the Rotherhithe tunnel entrance. You'll know where I mean. And I stopped at a chemist, and I'm like, right, I've got to buy condoms. How'd do you do that then? And I went into the chemist, um, and and again, be- because I'm a similar age to you, we'll remember. We'll remember this time. I picked up, I think, two toothbrushes, um, a bottle of deodorant, a bottle of Kuros aftershave. <laughs> i can't believe that and um i don't know some other bits and pieces and then i picked up a packet of condoms in front of the in front of the till and just chucked them in there as i carried on walking around the shop that first packet of three condoms cost me 45 pounds in <laughs> oh
0: that's so funny
1: <laughs> and so and so that was a, 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 a incredible because it, but back then you know you know Of course, safe sex was important. We just had, you know, uh, Bob Geldof screaming at everyone because of um, people dying of hunger. And then we went into the whole AIDS problem and everything going out with that. And so it was talked about. It was still terribly embarrassing. And I remember the first time I went into an Ann Summers shop, there was lingerie at the front and then kind of down towards the back were the, the toys and stuff. And I was Terrified. I literally walked in, walked back out again, thought, hold on a minute. I got four steps in. Maybe I should go a bit further. <laughs> and I was with my girlfriend at the time and she's dragging oh. me. She's like, come on, you Wally, let's go How in. You I'm like, ask you that? So, so
0: many men come in with their partners or, or wives. <laughs> my,
1: my girlfriend at the time was as quiet as a mouse until she went into your shop. And she's like, which one should we get? <laughs> I'm bright red. Didn't know where to look or what to do. I'm like, whatever one you want. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've heard these stories many times, but for me, it was just uh, one of those things. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, and again, you know, me telling my bits and pieces here is, gonna, is is embarrassing for me. But hey, it was a it was a time that that things things were different back then to to what they are now. You know, you worry that your kids get access to this type of information very very young. But how did you how did you help your stores? become easier for people like me all those years ago to be able to go in and feel comfortable because you must've been very aware of that. Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, um, and also preconceived ideas, you know, that is something that has, you know, been a a big challenge of mine over the years and and constantly moving that forward and, and finding ways to change those perceptions. But, you know, it was, I think it was made easy because the, because the, um, the direct selling business was flying i mean it was growing at 20 percent a year so you know we were recruiting more and more women engaging with more and more female customers um you know our, our stores that when we first had them only 10 percent of women went into the store whereas now it's 80 um and more couples at weekends so you know there was this natural of making it female friendly the ambience has changed you know it's you know it's much cooler it's um and, it, and it, obviously that's been a transition over the years so you change the music you change the the uh changing rooms you um you train the staff in a different way you you know we have sex experts in the store so that you know and they they're trained you know to make everybody feel comfortable and and the quality of our lingerie you know is fantastic now so all of those changes and actually category you know we have so many more categories of products now swimwear and um, we do Mama Summers and um, birthday So all, all different, you know, Birthday suit is for different diversities and Mama Summers obviously for mums that have just uh, had babies. So, you know, we, we've got so much um, broader categories now in the store and plans for many more. You know, we have our, we have our brand values and our, you know, we set about putting together creative values, loads of research on you know, what would make our female customers feel comfortable. And then we got to a point where it's, hang on a minute, we need to, to engage with the male customer again. So, you know, I think um, that sort of brand vision and continuing to talk to our customer and, you know, respond to her feedback has, has, has probably been, you know, the lead in all of that.
1: T- tell me when you became. How many years ago you became aware of the importance of selling online, and also what COVID did to either accelerate that or solidify that.
0: So we've we've gone through different um, phases of, of you know with the website and uh, our our friends Google over the over the years. Um, so. Obviously, we, we set up the Internet very early on the website and that was doing incredibly well, you know, and did fantastically well uh, in, in during the COVID lockdown, which I'll, I'll come back to in a moment. We do have a challenge with the family safe piece on, on the website because, you know, they, uh, you know, Google treat it as a one size fits all and, you know, Ann Summers is very different to uh, many other companies that that sell sex toys you know we we approach it in a very uh, responsible way and people know who Ann summers are they know what they're what we what we stock in our stores um so it is really difficult for us that when you google sexy lingerie in shopping Ann summers doesn't come up so that is that is a big hit for us you know that is a big um it's a big, it's a big problem. But where we have partners, so for example, we we sell in, we sell in Boots, we sell in ASOS, Solando, Next. We have, you know, thirty, you know, very high profile brands that we partner with. Theirs will come up, you know, our laundry will come up on their website. So there is a brand. We have a domain name bias, which is which is a problem for us. So having said that, during lockdown. Um, I mean, people, what was amazing about lockdown is people were investing in their relationships, you know, and um, our database grew, our our direct selling parties were being done on Zoom. Um, We were doing a good job uh, engaging with our uh, customers on social media. We outsold a penis pasta, uh, you know, almost immediately along with the, all the loo rolls that were going people were stocking up on so there were some funny moments that we were really able to get involved in conversations and have a bit of fun and remind people that this isn't all doom and gloom that we can have you know we can enjoy ourselves and it didn't completely plug the gap of having you know 100 stores closed but uh, it did it did keep people engaged and it, and it certainly helped
1: the only other brand that I that I and again forgive me, I'm a guy, and the women listening to this, I apologise in advance. But the only other like, like lingerie or sexy lingerie brand I can think about is Agent Provocateur, and they have they have stores. I, I don't know the names of any other brands, and I'm sure that, again the women listening and my production team will be like, "Duh, dinosaur." Um, but when I when I think about innovation in your industry innovation of products innovations in marketing is it is it difficult to innovate in your in your space
0: it isn't really I mean we when I say isn't I mean obviously actually pulling a product together is complicated because of all the you know processes it goes through but I think we're, we're re, you know we have a fantastic team of people they're all on brand we have um, we have uh, testing groups. Uh, that naturally volunteer that everybody wants to be now our, on our testing panel, um, so we get great feedback. Um, and there's so many different themes. It's it's not what people think. It's not just a sex toy, you know. Pe- that we go through a period of well being. You know, I when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I came up with a, a whole new range of MyViv products, which by the way stands for my very important vagina, and that was designed. <laughs> That was designed for people that were going through um, breast cancer or, uh, you know, health issues that had gone through um, abuse or trauma or menopause. It was with that in mind. So, you know, I, that's the part I enjoy, actually, is that, you know, there is a, a new op- there's a new opportunity here and we get really passionate about these news reflections and diversity is a big thing for us. So the whole LGBTQ Community. We wanted to to do something that they were, you know, engaged with. And then we did the, you know, the Mama summer. So I think there are. It's it's not just what people always think that it's just a vibrator or, you know, there's a lot more to it. And, you know, people are looking for different things. Um, although I would say that everybody is looking for the one consistent thing is everybody is looking for uh, power. And we do all different speeds and quietness because of little ones, little ears. Those are the t- two key features people people look for. But I mean, we you know, there's so many things you can do from being waterproof. So you can, there's vibrators that go into water. There's those that are uh, remote controlled. You can do them on apps in different countries. One can, you know, have, your partner can control it while you're using it. There are so many different things. The only thing I haven't quite mastered is one that puts the bins out. So that's uh, that would that would make our life uh, our, our lives perfect as women.
1: Is there anything? I mean, you, you got a, a bullet through the through the post. You got sick with cancer. You had challenges with, with losing your son. Is there any time that in your life that you, or or maybe just business related, where you went? You know what? I, I I just can't do this anymore. I need to, I need to do something else.
0: I've never, ever, ever thought about giving it up because I just love the brand so much, and I just love all the opportunities that we have. You know, we've given hundreds of thousands of women financial independence through the through the direct selling network, and you know, people, you know, it still brings a smile to people's face today. You know, so you know, I, I love, I love everything that uh, that I do, but obviously, you know, when your body is sick or it's telling you that, you know, you need time out, whether, you know, you mentioned when I lost my son and also, um, you know, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, there are you know, we all get signs that we have to take a step back and that we have to put our health first. As soon as I'm feeling well again, I I want to get back out there. And, and you know, sometimes you know those periods are also a time of reflection. We all need that sometimes. You know, when we're used to working at a hundred miles an hour, who do
1: you who do you do this for? Do you feel like you do it for to prove something to somebody? Do you feel like you do it um, to show somebody? Is there? somebody in your life uh, loved or hated that you want to prove something to? Is is there anything in there?
0: Um, No, I mean, I, I mean, that's a sort of um, a bonus, really. It wasn't the reason the idea. The idea really came up because I was working in my father's business at the time for work experience, and he had a couple of um, stores in Tottenham Court Road, and I remember going in them and feeling extremely uncomfortable fish out of water, very clinical. Uh, Despite it being the sort of um, acceptable face of the sex industry then, I just knew that women wouldn't be comfortable going into those stores. And I worked, you know, I worked in that business. And then, of course, by chance, I was invited to this party, which is where I got the idea from. So that's how I started. And I was really passionate about it and just worked really, really hard. I mean, you mentioned earlier, I was working extremely long hours, my weekends were taken up with working solidly and, um, yeah, I didn't really have much of a social life, but as you get older and you learn how to get that, that work life balance and the importance of it, actually, other things evolved, you know, I started to become very passionate about women in the workplace because it wasn't just women in the bedroom that were unequal at that time. <clears throat> and I'm talking about the early eighties, mm-hmm. um, But also in in the workforce, I mean, you you know, in the workplace, it's it's you know, it has improved an awful lot. I have a 13 year old daughter and um, I want her to grow up feeling she can be absolutely anything she wants to be.
1: Yes, that's the thing, isn't it? I have two daughters, both both uh, 20 and 22, both just finishing up at university. And I don't ever want their sex to be a conversation. Uh, I want their career to be driven because they're the best person for the role. I want them Absolutely. to be successful because they're the best at doing it. All of my businesses, and I have a number of them, are all run by women. Oh, wow. I, I, I think women are better in business. From my own experience, women are better in business. They're, in most cases, calmer, more organized, um, more structured, can stick to process and and actually less emotional about decisions when they're in positions of responsibility my, you know my mum and dad got divorced when I was a kid my my dad went bankrupt he lost everything my mum had to go out and you know feed us all kids and stuff my mum was very driven and very focused about what she wanted to achieve and so I had a strong woman around me when I was growing up and I look at the the, the people that run my businesses that they're I use this term in the in the nicest possible way they're fierce they're all fierce they're they're driven they're focused they're clear they know exactly what they want and they're working towards achieving their objective and it's an absolute joy to work with them and people say to me over the years how did you build your success and I'm like I'm not very good at business if I'm honest with you I'm just good at finding really good people Mm -hmm. and so when I look at your success you know you've gone on to be one of the most successful business women in the UK Uh, I'd like to take a women out of that word though I'd like to say you've become one of the most successful business people in the UK you must be really proud of that
0: I I am really proud of it um and you know I'm extremely extremely proud of the i received an award from the Queen in 2016 and that you know was an incredible moment after everything I'd been through you know on the journey it's extremely inspiring for my daughter who I took with me to Windsor Castle when I received my CBE, it's inspiring to other women because you're shining a spotlight on women. I want, I would love to see more women that are successful raise their head above the parapet. You know, we tend to, to, to hold things back, but it's so important to do that if we want to inspire the next generation. You know, I'd love to see I'd love to see more of that. But like you, we, it's not until this sort of, these conversations stop that we realise that we, we've achieved what we needed to achieve.
1: I could sit and talk to you for hours. I've got a million more questions for you and I I genuinely could spend the next two or three hours. You are just a a really awesome human being and getting the chance to talk to you today has been an absolute blessing. I won't take up any more of your time because your phone doesn't stop going and your your iPad doesn't stop (laughs) going. but, (laughs) But Jacqueline Gold, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming to join us today on the show.
0: Spencer, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real joy. And you're, you, thank you also for your very kind words. Um, I've really, mm. really enjoyed our chat today. Really have.
1: Well, hopefully you enjoyed the episode. What a lady Jacqueline is, you know. She sat there, built a fantastic business on the back of incredible adversity. She's a, a, an incredibly fierce, focused, dynamic woman. And she, as I was trying to get information out of her as we were talking through the podcast, she got a lot of information out of me, which I'm sure made you chuckle a bit and maybe took you down a memory lane yourself about when you were younger. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, then please do me a favor. If you're on iTunes right now, leave us a five-star rating. It would mean the world. And if it's any other podcasting app that you're on right now, leave us some love follow us, engage with us, tell us about what you like, what you don't like, guests you'd like us to have on the show, how we can improve it and make it a better experience for you. I'll see you on the next show.